0: Okay.
1: It happens here, and it finishes here. Two men enter. One man. Was merely a two-word review. It just a
0: shit sandwich. I will roll the record up. to That right there that, is a, a lot, lot of, of Welcome back to the Basement Fellow Music Library. You are now tuned in to yet another exciting adventure with us here on Chunky Glasses, the podcast. I am your host, Kevin, as usual, and uh, we're always glad you came to hang out with us for a little while. And we will reward you greatly this week with uh, one of the f- my favorite interviews that we've done for this site. Besides uh, talking with my friend Chad, who one time those many years ago, maybe Bob, maybe Nels. We had a few good ones, Nassim. Uh, Nick and Amelia from Sylvanoso, which they might be back soon, but but this one is actually uh, no, this one is is very um, it was serendipitous. So so you know we live in DC, and uh, and the artist we're talking about, Jason A. Mullenax, also lives in DC in a very cool area, a town a little north of here called Tacoma Park. And um, what Jason actually does for a living is he he owns his own uh, cleaning company. And so he goes around and uses environmentally friendly materials and whatnot to to clean houses. And uh, it just so happened that we needed our house cleaned, and the lady sort of hooked that up. You hear us talk about this a little bit in a minute. And uh, and so every Friday now, for oh God, probably almost a year, maybe six months—I don't know—I've uh, been sitting and talking with Jason while I, while I do work. I work from home on Fridays. Uh and um been talking about music. Found out he's a musician, so started talking about his music and uh and then he was like, Man, we're coming out with an album. I'm recanting while we're getting into the podcast. Long story short, is basically some something in the universe like collided and shifted things around so that this amazing musician would end up in our home and in this basement and now in your ears. Uh and, and this is how things just sort of work, I guess. Um, uh, but he is also, besides cleaning houses, he is a, he's also a, a teacher. He teaches workshops. He makes instruments himself. Uh, he's been a drummer for, for many, many moons. Uh, you're gonna have links in the show notes to all of his projects. And they are, they are, uh, of multitudes. Uh, but all around, he's, he's one of the more fascinating people I think I've ever talked with and, and one of the most pure musicians I've ever talked with. And, it, it all feeds into his new album, Time Beam. So, so this is what we're doing this week. Uh, Jason came by, and uh, we got to have a few beers instead of, you know, just hanging out, working, and whatnot. And uh, and it was fucking great. And it, and it reminded me that you don't, you never know where some of the best stuff or the best music that you like is going to come from. And if you don't look everywhere, and if you don't, like, sort of keep your eyes and your ears and your mind open, uh, you might miss it. Uh, but we didn't miss this. And I'm glad we didn't, so. Uh, that's what we're doing. If you guys are ready, uh, we're going to head on down to the basement. Uh, myself and Mr. Jason A. Mullinex, the amazing Jason A. Mullinex, talk all about his life in music and his kick-ass new album, Time Being. Let's go. So basically, instead of, like, reading, uh, is we're going to be redoing that. But instead of that, it, like, just keeps it, like, right here. and set it back out to here. And that means that you, know, you can't hear... You can sometimes hear Clyde. But, uh, other than that...
1: Did your listeners know about Clyde? hmm They do? <laughs> oh, yeah. Have to do. My wife used to live upstairs from this old drunk, and he's he's totally probably dead right now. Like, there's no way he lived. Like, he would drink like cases of beer, yeah, a day. And in the middle of the night, he would wake up, and the only time we heard him talk was when he was yelling at his cat. And he would always go, Goddamn cat!" <laughs> and then that was it. <laughs> just come out of nowhere, just pass out. Y- yeah, you would hear n- like nothing, right. and then at three o'clock in the morning, Goddamn cat!" And then. That was it. Did he have a cat? I think so. Are we sure? I mean, I never walked in his house. Can't <laughs> See? You got one of these things, Maybe he's having flashbacks. You got one of these things. You ready? Yeah, let's do it. A, b- big interview here. Yeah.
0: Uh, you're in a dif- different circumstances, Mr. Mullinax. I know. I feel weird it's, about this. It's okay. Is, it's um, okay. you sure
1: it's not a conflict of interest? It is not a conflict of interest. <laughs> it is,
0: uh, it is uh, serendipitous, as I... Uh, i don't think we're friends on facebook, but I, I posted something on Facebook of how um you own a company called Little Green Man, yeah, and uh you go around and use organic materials i mean you
1: can you can pitch this right now no, go ahead yeah you go, use organic
0: it. materials to clean people's houses, which people in the d c area are are pretty hype on
1: yeah yeah, you know they, but yeah. you know I was actually doing it before it was a thing. Ah, yeah. Like I learned how to clean houses back in two thousand and one. I was doing the starving artist thing. Yeah, And I was looking around for jobs, and I met this woman named D, and she was. This is in Columbia. Did I say that Columbia, South Carolina? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, so I used we'll, to live. We'll get to there. Yeah. Okay, I used to live in Columbia, South Carolina, and I was looking for uh, a job, and I, you know, I was doing stuff like washing dishes and yeah. all that stuff, and I met this woman, and she's like, "Hey, you know, I can give you a job cleaning this this factory," <laughs> so I was like, "Okay, let's do it." So she taught me how to do that, and gradually she brought me in to start working on uh like houses doing uh like residential stuff right and so um but she was all green that yeah. was, that was her thing and and so i I cleaned with her for years and then when I moved up to d c she suggested she's like, "Why don't you start your own green cleaning company?" I'm like, okay, I'll check that out and i but I wasn't quite hip to it. But when I got up here, I started looking around for jobs, thinking there'd be tons of companies up here that were doing green cleaning. Right? Yeah. Nobody was doing it. Yeah. Only there are like a, one or two people doing it, and so uh, I started doing it, and my f- my friend and I, you know, started the business together, and we did it for several years together, and then we split ways, and I, I'm still doing it. But now everybody's doing green cleaning. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's a huge thing now. But um, I, I would like to think that I was on the forefront. I was part of the avant garde. Yeah, you know, I was on the forefront of the green cleaning in DC.
0: That's, that's sort of your thing, being on the avant-garde. I think if, if you're talking about because besides oh. that, we what we found out, um, and, I, and I don't know where Daria got the recommendation. It might have just been the Brooklyn list yeah, Probably, yeah. And uh, and then she's looking at it, and she goes, "I think this guy's a musician."
1: And oh, I was how like, does she make that determination? I have no
0: fucking clue, <laughs> no fucking clue. But she goes, "I think this guy's a musician," and so I looked at him, and I'm like, "Sure enough." You're a musician. Not only that, you're a musician that a bunch of my friends knew. Uh, Mary McLaughlin says hi. Oh, oh, yeah.
1: I just actually talked or had an email exchange with her yesterday. Yeah, yeah. yeah
0: she's cool. she's a, she's one of the sweetest human beings. Yeah, alive, I, I like
1: her. We we keep threatening to get together and do something. But <laughs> I think yeah, you, that, I think
0: that should happen. I, I would love so. that. I,
1: so if you're listening, let's do this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, she she probably is. Okay. Um, and uh, and you showed up and. Uh, we're weird. We're, uh, we are really weird like this in that we, no offense, don't trust anybody with their cats. They're our kids, right? Oh yeah. So you come on Fridays and I'm always here on
1: Fridays because yeah. I work from home on Fridays.
0: Yeah. I think over the past, like what has it been like six months?
1: I don't even know. We've
0: just been talking about it, music. It's been more than that. Yeah. And then, and then at one point you were like, uh, by the way, I'm making another album. And it was like, what? <laughs> and It's like okay, and I check out your other stuff. I'm like, all right, this could be cool, and this was and 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 watched you like develop this in your head, like while you're working and thinking about it, and thinking about and asking me questions (laughs) about this while you're going like as this leads up to the release, and the album is here. It's called Time Being, and it was uh, I remember the first time I heard it, I was just like, who's this fucking rock star (laughs) cleaning our house? Because this is. Uh, you know, we we were, before we started here, we were talking a little bit about fish. Yeah. I think we, I think we have a, a little bit of a, each a hippie leanings in the background. And I mean, I'm back dormant
1: there. right now, but yeah, yeah,
0: yeah maybe. Yeah. And so, this stuff, you know, avant-garde jazz, all instrumental music, uh, some found sounds, like, was a big part of the package with that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You pull a tube and you fucking listen to, like, Medesky's weird B-sides, shit and uh and uh and seriously i put this on and at first track next time we fly which we uh played on this is a time machine aspect we played it on the gorillas podcast i know okay and i was just like this is fucking groovy as fuck cool man <laughs> yeah and and it's <laughs> and and it, and, it, and it sucked me into the whole album and what i found was this sort of uh remarkably complex yet accessible unlike a lot of jazz albums a lot, a lot of instrumental stuff a lot of avant-garde stuff uh there's a sense of melody that goes throughout this whole album even on like something like Henry's head you mm-hmm. know which is uh, a little more spacey mm-hmm. um and all the way to the end and you end it on a uh <laughs> like <laughs> and obviously the last tracks walking papers and it ends on footsteps walking out yeah it, it, so what I'm saying before we get into this is you did a remarkable fucking job, dude. Thank you. That means a lot, man. And uh, so when you said you were in Columbia, South Carolina. Yeah. Is that where you grew up?
1: No, I actually grew up in a place called Fort Mill, South Carolina, which is upstate. It's right across mm-hmm. the border from Charlotte. Yeah. And Fort Mill is known for uh, being the home of Muzak. It's also... Uh, really? Yeah. I didn't realize there was yeah, a home. Yeah, that's, that's where Muzak's from. So you can blame Fort Mill for Holy that. fuck. Uh, it's also the home of the last Confederate cabinet meeting. So, uh, right. which is, which is cool, I guess, for civil war buffs. And then, uh, what's the other big thing? Uh, oh, you ever, you remember Jim and Tammy Faye Baker? Hell yeah. That's PTL. That, they, was, they that were, was, they were, that I, was far... so I grew up in Lynchburg. I Where? wasn't, I wasn't that far south, but we had oh, yeah. Jerry Falwell. Yeah.
0: So Jerry and Jim and Tammy Faye were like,
1: I, I used to hang out with, uh, Tammy Faye Baker's niece. Yeah, I went to school with her. This whole podcast took a whole different (laughs) turn. Yeah. Southern. Yeah, man, let me tell you. But seriously, like, yeah, I I grew up in Fort Mill. We had a great band program, Mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, marching band. And I was in all the bands, symphonic band, jazz band, all that. But I moved to uh, Columbia, South Carolina, and I want to say... 96 this this year I graduated from high school right I went down there to go to college and I stayed there till 2004 and then that's when I moved up to DC
0: when uh, in your time hanging out with Tammy Faye's niece uh, (laughs) um, when was the first time you looked around Uh, and because you know being from the south it's music's a weird thing down there you got a lot you got a lot of blues you got a lot Mm -hmm. of uh, Acoustic instruments and then Neil Young and, and Skinner are on the radio pretty
1: much. Yeah, we had a radio station called uh WRFX the Fox. And we had yeah. you know John Boy and Billy? Do you have John Boy? Yeah. Yeah. Grew up with him. John Boy. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So 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 but when, you know, growing up in in that sort of environment did you look around and, and like hear something in music and be like, Maybe I want to try that.
1: Uh well. I th- I think I've always been obsessed with sound in general. Mm-hmm. Like, ever since I was a kid, I had one of those little uh, tape recorders. Yeah. And, you you know, the books you'd get where you would, like, please turn the page and you'd read oh, yeah. them all and let there be little beeps and stuff. So I had a bunch of those things. And then one day I discovered that you can cover up the tabs yep. on, the, uh, on the tape and then record stuff. So I would record all kinds of stuff. I'd go around recording my, you know, the, the toilet bowl flushing or... Or the sounds of birds outside. Or me and my little brother would get uh, pots and pans and spoons and beat on them and make noise like that. And when I was in middle school, my friends and I would get together and make skits. We were really into Monty Python. Yeah. So we'd make our own skits and I'd create sound effects. I was always in charge of the sound effects and the music and stuff. <laughs> uh So I've always loved that part of music making its just sound design and everything. But it was, I was nine years old and my mom took me to one of her friend's house to play basketball with, you know, she's like, Hey, we're going to so-and-so's house to play basketball. And we got there and I walked in the front door and there was this drum set sitting in the living room and I was just immediately drawn to it. Um, I always had this feeling of wanting to be creative as a kid, but I didn't know where to put that energy. I was I would write a lot of stories, try to make comic strips, mm-hmm. um, drew a lot, but nothing came to me very easily. I and had to how, fight for it. How old were you when you saw the drum set? I was nine. Nine, yeah. And so my mom was like, hey, let's go play basketball. I'm like, no, 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 let me, let me check this thing out. So I sat down behind the drum set, and it was like sitting behind, it was like sitting in a seat of a fighter jet for me or something like (laughs) like i sat down behind it and my whole world just whoosh came into focus Uh and i I was like this i don't know what this thing is what the what's going to happen with it but i know this is going to be a part of my life from here on out and so i just started playing the drums and while everybody was outside i was in there beating on stuff and then um made your parents happy yeah and then (laughs) uh then i ended up getting my own drum set and later down the line and i would spend pretty much all my time playing drums well wow. you know i'd come home from school uh and i would play until my mom came home and then you know she told me to stop and then yeah. on the weekends i would beg her to let me play and she'd let me play for a few <laughs> hours but i would just that's just all i did like i didn't i wasn't much of a sports guy yeah or anything like that so i would just stay inside and just play drums and play drums and play drums were, i mean were you taking lessons at all or were you no. just like picking it up just no. listening to stuff um, and well I, I would pick up a thing you know here and there from other people, but a lot of times I would just uh, listen to stuff on the radio and try to play along to it. My first tape that I ever had was Tina Turner's Private Dance. Hell fucking yes. And so I would s- just play that record yeah. and w- and just play it over and over again. And then when I was uh, in seventh grade, um, I an- I managed to get into the school band. I changed schools. Okay. I was in a school that didn't have a band program. And then I right. moved to Fort, I, I lived in Fort Mill, moved out of Fort Mill, and I came back. And when I came back to Fort Mill, my mom called the band directors like, hey, my son plays the drums, can he be in the band? And he said, does he have any experience playing drums? And she said, yeah, he's played on stage with Foghat. Does that count? <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and so he's like, back, back
0: up here. <laughs> So I,
1: I have friends
0: that now have played with REO Speedwagon. Yeah. I have friends that played with Prince. Mm-hmm. And now you're saying Foghat. Foghat. So
1: you just like it, what like? I was in fourth grade, and my mom's boyfriend at the time booked uh, shows at this place called Excalibur. It was uh, in Rock Hill, South Carolina, right next door to a Taco Bell. And there's no mistaking that's a rock club. Yeah. And so one night it was like midnight, and he comes home, and he's like, come on, we're going. And he drags me out of bed, and I'm totally disoriented. What are we doing? Where are we going? Yeah. And he takes me to. The club <laughs> and Fog Hats playing, and they're just jamming. And then all of a and so the, the song, you know, the show ends, yeah. and people are milling about. And, and, you know, there's, there's still a lot of people there. Yeah. And he uh, goes and talks to the the band, and they're like, All right, bring them up. And so I get up on stage, and we kicked in the slow ride. <laughs> And I played Slow Ride with fog Hat. That's
0: the most amazing
1: thing that's ever been said in this basement. <laughs> like. So it was like an encore with a fourth grader, and then the drummer's name was Roger Earl. Yeah, yeah. And he uh, he gave me a drum lesson on stage in mm-hmm. front of people, and then he gave me a crash cymbal that I still have to this day. It says, he wrote on it, it says, keep on rocking." Uh, no, I'm sorry, to Jason, keep on rocking." Roger <laughs> yeah. Earl. And he misspelled my name, uh, right. which Wait, I'm how not... Did, how the fuck do you miss... What? It, he put J-A-S-A-N, so But It's the South. But he's not from the South. I know, but he's in the South. Maybe that's how I pronounce it. I'm San. Could be. Could be.
0: Um. Uh, yeah, I mean there is no mistaking that you're from the south. That's for sure. That's what I hear. Um but uh wow, that's amazing. So 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 you're doing all this and um and uh I guess playing with Foghat got you all the gigs? No.
1: Nah. No, that was nah. one time thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that it's um, all been downhill from
0: there. <laughs> uh So so you get in the band and and you know, I I was in the uh Symphony Orchestra and and the uh-huh. program we had uh it was split like, you had strings in on one side, and then you had band on the other side. Like, horns and stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was brass and percussion over here, mm-hmm. and all the strings over here. Yeah. And that wasn't the norm, I think, in schools and We stuff. didn't have
1: that. We didn't have strings. Didn't have strings at no, all? No, it was uh, woodwinds, like, flutes and, uh, rec- uh, I I'm, I'm almost said recorders, flutes and clarinets. We had bassoons, and we had mm-hmm. oboes, which was pretty cool. Um, We also had trombones and tubas and uh, trumpets and then all the percussion stuff. Uh, Probably a couple other, piccolos, probably a couple other things I'm missing.
0: Were you picking up any of those instruments at all, or were you just like looking down at your drums like, this is it, motherfucker?
1: The drums was where it was at. But the thing is, is that um, I did get a really good education musically through the band because the band director was constantly yelling at the clarinets. Because the, because we had, we had seasons. We had uh, marching band season. Yeah, yeah. And usually all the clarinets would play or would be in the color guard mm-hmm. during marching season. And then after marching season was over, we'd go into concert season. And in concert season, you know, we didn't have a color guard, obviously. So the people that were in the color guard would then play the clarinets. Yeah. And they had not practiced at all. So it was squeak, squawk, squeak, squawk. So the band director was constantly yelling at the clarinets and he would write stuff on the board and he would explain musical concepts to them, you know, like playing in time and attack and release <laughs> Important and phrasing. Concepts, and so he would talk about that all the time and I would pay attention you know I would, <laughs> right. I would i would i would listen like hey what's he talking you were about you in
0: the back like i got my shit right Yeah, but what's but, going on over there yeah so that? i would yeah.
1: watch him basically just yelling at these kids and i felt bad for him but in a in a way it was beneficial to me because i probably wouldn't have got the opportunity to learn some of those concepts because unfortunately a lot of times in band programs um they don't teach the drummers about <laughs> how to read music they don't teach the drummers um Anything but just go hit that thing. You yeah. know, and they teach you rhythm and how to read rhythm, right. but you don't learn a lot about uh and, um like chords and you don't learn yeah, a lot about because, uh you know like scales and things like that.
0: Because a drummer's chart is very different than say a violin's chart. Yeah. You know, a violin's chart, you're gonna have like you said, you you not necessarily chords, you don't play too many chords you can uh uh on the violin, but you know, you're gonna have these big scales written out and mm-hmm. stuff. And a drummer it's just sort of Ticks. Well, it's right? one
1: line? Yeah. So There's a lot of information on that line, and you got to do a lot of subtle stuff with the drumming. But, um, but we ha- we had percussionists who would play in the mallet instruments, but most of those kids were piano kids. Yeah. Like they learned on the piano, and then they came into the band gotcha. program. So gotcha. it wasn't there wasn't a lot of attention. If I had to criticize the band program I was in, that would be it. Like they just didn't spend a lot of time with the drummers explaining to us what was important about music. Outside of rhythm. Yeah. Uh, but so what I'm getting at is when I was back there in the drum section, you know, there were lots of times where he was talking to the other instruments mm-hmm. about, you know, how music fits together and why these parts work the way they do. And I would, I would listen and pay attention to it. And it was uh, pretty insightful for me. So when did you start using it? Uh, I think when I got to college... I met up with some guys who were into improvisation and experimental music, and they all had four-track yeah. tape machines. And so I just kind of started hanging out with them. And like I said earlier, I love to make sounds. Like I was making tape collages before I knew other people were making tape right. collages. I thought I was on to something. I was right. like, oh, man, like I've created a new style of music, right, you know, right, but right, it's been right, going on right, for right, decades. Right. But after working with those guys, um, I was like, you know what? I'm going to buy myself a four-track. And so I bought one. Task-game? him 414. Yep. Uh, killed that thing, man. I put it through the paces. Mm-hmm. But I bought one, and now it just, I was like, holy crap, man. Now I got four tracks. And if yeah. I record something, it doesn't erase the thing that was before it. Yeah, you know? yeah, So I started getting into the idea of layering things. And I didn't know what in the world I was doing, but yeah. I would go to, and I lived in the dorm at the time, so I couldn't set up a drum set. Uh so I would just go to the thrift store and find pots and pans and I get t- cheap little Casio keyboards yeah. and microphones and effects pedals and I'd borrow instruments from friends you know drum machines or guitars or whatever and I bought a he- this headset and I literally dropped out of college because I couldn't stop thinking about the four track. I w when I was in class, I was writing out schematics. Like, how am I going to record this song? And I would write it out in my notebooks and write little love letters to my task cam instead of (laughs) instead of, really yeah. doing what I was supposed to be doing. So I ended up dropping out of college because of it. I mean, I, there are other reasons, but mm-hmm. that was a huge factor. It's like no. I could not, I was obsessed.
0: So, so when you, when you drop out of college, what were you in college for?
1: Um, I went originally for music education. Yeah. I had this idea, Hey, I'm going to be a band director, sure. you know, cause I love my marching band experience and I thought that would be cool. But college just the, the program I was in was just not for me. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of cultivating of um creativity. Right. I, f- I felt like I was being weeded out from okay. the very beginning. Okay. You know, like I took a introduction to music theory course and before I even learned anything, I had failed it. Because oh, man. because they gave us all these tests. They're like, "Okay, you have 5 minutes to determine what type of seventh chords these are," and there's 64 examples, so you have 5 minutes to do it. And go. And all these quizzes counted towards your grade yeah and i have and i'm thinking wait a minute where's the introduction part of all this you know yeah yeah. and so i went and talked to the music dean about it and he's like sorry you know he just <laughs> didn't care yeah, yeah and um so I, I basically wasted a year or so trying to do music education and then i changed to media arts because i was mm-hmm. like okay if i can't be in music education then maybe i can do recording maybe i can uh be an engineer or something like that sure sure and um but I ended up dropping out of college in my, my junior year. The other reason I dropped out is because when I changed my major, it totally threw me off with how many classes I needed and right. that type of thing. And they gave preferential treatment to upperclassmen. And the way the media arts program was structured was everything was cumulative. Mm-hmm. So if you wanted to take, uh, you know, course B, you'd have to do course A first. But yeah. then course A would fill up with upperclassmen. Right. And uh, you couldn't get in. Yeah. So, I had finished all my other requirements, but I, you know, like the, what are they called? Elect, uh, electives. Electives. Huh? Yeah, yeah. And then, um, like, I was a religious minors, mm-hmm. uh, or, I'm sorry, religious studies minor. And I did great in that, but I had finished all that stuff, and I still had all this media art stuff to go, and I talked to my advisor, and he's like, dude, you're going to be in school for another three years. Right. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't see that happening. I don't see that happening, yeah. Uh, so I just was like, okay, I've had it. This this isn't for me.
0: So so when, when, you, when you drop out, you're, you're sitting there and you know that this is what you want to do. Mm-hmm. You want to make these sounds. This is something you've wanted to do since you were a child.
1: Yeah. Did you do that? Yeah. Starting out. Oh, man, like I dove in head first. Yeah. Like that's all I did. Like I got a job making sandwiches at a restaurant called Rising High. And before that, I worked at a place called The Basil Pot. It was a vegetarian restaurant. And, you know, I was just getting all these little crap jobs everywhere. Yeah. And I would, and I lived with this guy named Mike. And we would uh, just get together when I got home from work. And mm-hmm. we would record until 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. And then I'd go to sleep, go to work, uh, come b- at 7, come back at 3, drag him out of bed because he's been sleeping all day. And then we'd just repeat the process. And yeah. then... We started amassing a pretty large amount of uh, of tapes and music and mm-hmm. stuff, and then we we're like, "Hey, let's take this to the stage." And then we started a band, and then it was a duo, and then it turned into a trio, and then it just it grew up into a sextet. Was and,
0: it, I mean, and, and so was this like because you're sort of creating these sounds mm-hmm. out of all all these disparate parts? Mm-hmm. You know, you have. I mean, you're a drummer, so you're, yeah. you're doing that, but you also have. A lot of things coming up going on. Were these shows just trying to recreate what you guys had built, or is this a pure like I sit on stage and I'm gonna make it up? Like are you recreating the the thing you made or are you recreating the process?
1: Oh, uh, that's that's a really good question. We we when we first started talking about getting on the stage, we we're like, How do we do this? Yeah, you know, how do we reverse engineer all these songs? And we agonized over like ways to do this and we had no equipment. This was before we had like sam- samplers and laptops and stuff. This was mm-hmm. like late 90s, early 2000s, you know? And and we were poor college kids, or ex-college yeah, kids. Yeah, ex-college kids, yeah. And so we had nothing to work with. And so a guy came through town, and he's a pretty well-known uh, avant-garde guitarist named Davey Williams. Uh-huh. And he came through town, and we gave him one of our tapes, and he wrote us back, and he was like, man, this is great stuff, you know? Have you thought about playing live? And we told him, uh, yeah, but here's our problem. Like, How do we do this? And then he gave us the best piece of advice, and this is something I've always kept with me. He said that, he's like, what you should do is you should think about live music and recording music as interdependent of each other. So in other words, if you record something, that doesn't obligate you to play it live. And if you play something live, it doesn't obligate you to record it. There yeah. can It can be like a Venn diagram. There are places in the middle where things meet, Right. but try to recapture the spirit of what you do on stage. Interesting. So we would write music for the stage and then we would write music for the studio, but the two weren't always the same. Yeah. So the live experience would be different than the recorded experience.
0: And, and when is this? This is the late 90s or Yeah, late, this is yeah, late, late 90s
1: early 2000.
0: Late 90s. So is there a, or was there a, like a market for that kind of thing?
1: Yeah, actually and in columbia like columbia is a college town and we had a lot of good promoters who would bring free jazz concerts and avant-garde music you know into town and we would get involved in those circuits and meet people and uh eventually though the band started morphing more from the sound collage the experimental stuff into an actual we turned into like an ambient group for a while using nothing but keyboards and then we turned into a a noise rock band, and then that morphed into a prog rock power trio. So
0: <laughs> you just surfed the entire history of music. I mean, yeah, <laughs> and, and so that's where we that's, the, that's, that's where you, we stayed you, for a you while. You know that you know that T-shirt says the evolution of man.
1: Yeah, like, that's the evolution of musician. Is it?
0: <laughs> I think. Okay, maybe.
1: Um, but that's what we did. We became a trio, and then we started getting involved with more of the rock bands, and then we would open yeah. up for the big bands coming through town, like Manor, Astro Man, Melt Banana, oh, uh, Snoopy Time, uh, Gorilla Museum, Wesley Willis. We opened up for him. And, uh, so we became known as, like, this weird band that would just... And what was the name of that band? It was called Mandible. And there's a Mandible in Austin, Texas that's not us. I no, know. yeah. But we used to be in a band called Mandible. Then we got a little bit too big for our britches. We started trying to do, like, really serious prog rock stuff. And, right. um, it... It just became less and less fun because the music was just... It was complicated, you know. It was mm-hmm. very composed and... We lost a few members because they kind of—they're like we're not doing what we used to do, yeah—and so they kind of got to the point where they didn't want to do it anymore, right? So when when did you start doing this solo and
0: putting Because you have how many records out now?
1: Uh, jeez, under your name, under my own name, yeah, just two, just the two, yeah, and then I have another one that's kind of like a compilation of people yeah. who do re- who did remixes of my earlier album, right? I used to go under the name Pie Laser, okay. And I did, and that's the first thing I started with the four track back in 1998. And so uh, it was kind of a joke. You know, I just mm-hmm. I, I couldn't sing, I couldn't write music. It was just terrible. You know, it was terrible. It was very disjointed and um, kind of abrasive and atonal, but it still had this energy to it. it I, I listened to a lot of The Residents and Ween, yeah. Early yeah. Ween, and Ronaldo and the Loaf. And so that was where I was drawing my inf- inspiration. But over time, the project, it was just kind of the thing I did on the side when my quote unquote serious music wasn't doing well. Like I'd go back to the High Leisure project. Right. But over time, it's it kind of morphed into my solo endeavor. Like it became my thing. It became your thing. And so and I did it. It was a studio only project until about 2008. And then, and then I decided I wanted to take it on the stage. And it was the same process I talked about yeah, earlier. Yeah, yeah. You know, I can't recreate that other stuff to make something new. Right, right. So I bought a bunch of keyboards and drum machines and loopers and created a one-man band thing. Started doing that in 2009, and I did that to about 2014, and then I finally got to a point where I was like, you know, I've been doing Pileaser for 18 years. It hurts. It's kind of like breaking up with somebody that you really sure, you really sure. love, but it's just not working out. It's, yeah. it's not that there's anything wrong with that person. Yeah, it's just, it's it's just it's it's chemistry. Its course. Yeah, the chemistry. It's on its the the chemistry's not there, and so yeah. I... So I killed Pileaser. I just killed it, mm-hmm. and I it was traumatic for me. <laughs> like I, I know that sounds kind of well, lame, but your,
0: your identity—you know—I know. I, I know, um, I've talked to a lot of musicians uh, about what they do, and and even like what we do down here, podcast. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, yeah. if, if you are creative, like your creative product is, you know, it's sort of your baby. But your your identity gets wrapped up in it, and yeah. and you become it. And it, it's, a, it's a trick to not let that consume you, but at the same time, let it consume you when it
1: needs to. Yeah. Well, part of the problem with Pileaser is that when I started it off, it was just kind of funny stuff, you know, just that I'll give tapes right. to friends. But then gradually over time, uh, well, so- I, I tried to make it more serious. And I can never reconcile in my head the early stuff with the mid stuff uh-huh. with the later stuff. And it just became too much of a burden for me. And I felt like I was playing a character. I felt like I had a mask on, and so I wasn't able to make music that I felt was really sincere. Because when I did try to do that with Pilezer, I I couldn't help thinking about the earlier stuff. You know, like I I know nobody cares about this because it's not like I have millions of fans or something (laughs) who write in like all music (laughs) reviews. But that's
0: exactly what I'm talking about. It's like you you tap into something Mm
1: -hmm.
0: when you're doing music, especially that it is. It's like, it's like playing the character. Yeah. And, uh, you have to be really like super comfortable with that because that's what you're going to do.
1: Right. And I guess I just got tired of it. You know, it's like, I want to take the mask off and I want to try to make something that is beautiful to me, something that I can give to anyone, you know, of any age group, any demographic and be like, and be proud of it and be like, this is what I do. Because when I used to put out my pie laser stuff, I would hand it to people, but I'd always give them like you know some sort of like, here's my music, <laughs> but you know, you know, I, I always had a disclaimer, yeah. you know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, okay, don't take this song too seriously. How or, much Molly you got on yeah, you tonight? Yeah, like don't don't get offended. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, there's yeah. some salty language in here, and it's kind of juvenile mm-hmm. and childish in some ways. And, yeah, but now I like I can hand Time Being to anybody. and feel like one thousand percent behind it.
0: So so let's let's talk about that since we sort of got up to that point. Yeah, the Homeworld was the one before that.
1: Yeah, that was the first one. I put out under my own name. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, It is the same but different. I mean, stylistically. I mean, that's a compliment. I mean, it's it's you know knowing that you came from this other project, you can feel it's a little more focused. Yeah, and you can hear you trying out ideas. Uh, but like I was saying about
1: time being, that... I like how you say it. <laughs> you say time being, I say time being. <laughs> oh.
0: It's all it's all interstellar, man. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, you, it it's playing around with, again, all these sort of tropes and ideas that are, are from, like, anybody familiar with avant-garde jazz would be familiar with. But then you inject these, like, melodies into it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's like honestly super disruptive to that model in in the best way, because you you just don't expect to have something like that you can hum, yeah. When when you're hearing that, yeah. And so it's interesting to hear you say uh, you, you wanted to make something like beautiful, because you know there there are moments on on time being or time being whichever <laughs> whichever one we're gonna go with.
1: It's a it's a that, I, I love the name because you can interpret it in so many yeah. ways. Yeah.
0: Um. Which are just flat out like beautiful. Now, now no. knowing that that was going into it, like you don't necessarily play a bunch of instruments beyond the
1: drums. That's well, no, there's Do you? a no. yeah, like, no, well, like time being is mostly me. Uh, oh, yeah, it's mostly me. Like the first song next next time we fly, yeah, I'm playing everything on that wow. except the okay. horns and except the mallet. So I'm but, playing the drums, the bass, guitar, the guitar. Uh, the keyboards, the harmonicas, everything you hear on there is me except the well, so, horns. So, and, and so my, jump
0: back, like when when did you did you just uh, absorb all that through osmosis? Because I know in talking with you, you were talking about like how you contracted these people out and yeah, yeah, stuff. I do
1: that. With- like I have friends, like there there are four guys who helped me with this record. There's uh, Dave Newhouse who used to play with the Muffins, and he's a very active guy and still. He does all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, I got him to play horns on mm-hmm. some, st- and I didn't expect to get him. Like I've always right. been a fan of of the Muffins ever since I was a kid. Uh, Mike and I, the guy that I told you about the earlier stuff, mm-hmm. that when you know, when we first started the tapes, we would get the Wayside catalog mm-hmm. from Cuneiform, and we would read the descriptions of yeah. the bands, and then we would try to reverse engineer those descriptions and create music that we thought sounded like the descriptions. Does that make sense? No, so, yeah, that we tried does. to do that, and so. Um, I was really into the muffins, and then uh, later I met this guy named Rich O'Mara, who is an amazing percussionist. We've done a lot of stuff together, and he was helping me with some of the stuff on Time Being. And we were talking about the song uh, Next Time We Fly, yeah. and I had the melody, but I couldn't find the instrumentation for it. I was like, you know, what's this going to be? And he just off the cuff was like, why don't you ask Dave Newhouse? Mm-hmm. And I, he's like, I noticed that you're friends on Facebook. I'm like, yeah, but what does that mean to be friends on Facebook? Right. You know, right, like right. I'm friends with with Yuko Honda. Is that her name? Yeah. Uh, you know, from Chupamato. Like I'm yeah. friends, quote unquote, friends with her, you know. But so, but Dave is just super sweet guy. And so I sent him the song. I was like, hey, I have this melody. Can you do it on horns? And he did it. And he was like, yeah, it's great. Let me know if you ever want something else. Right. And I was like, uh oh. <laughs> he just opened up a whole new yeah, yeah. chapter for me. So um, I got him involved, and like I said, Rich is involved. He plays all the mallet parts. I have a friend named Seth, who is a good friend of mine, and we, we've always kind of jammed together and made music, and I brought him on for, for some tracks, and then I have a friend named Logan, who plays the bass, and he plays on two of the tracks on there. Um, because I just, when you're writing music, you hear things that you, you know what you want to hear, mm-hmm. and if there's something that you can do, try it yourself. Yeah. But if there's something that you know you can't do or you you just feel like somebody else could do it better, then you kind of you you contract it out to them. You're like, "Hey, can you can you put your spin on this? Here's what I'm thinking, but you know, put your own thumbprint on this and see what you can That's come up with." That's actually
0: a really important distinction between um people who are I, I think lifers, you know, in doing music, which I think you are. There's yeah. no little I am. This is you know, this is I I know you want this to be, like, the most successful album of all time, but you're also not like, <laughs> you're also not like, eh, you're like, okay, I'm just, uh, you're you not going to stop.
1: No. I mean, we this. all have agendas. Yeah, we you know, all have agendas. Like, my agenda is just to take it one step further but, than where I've been. But
0: that idea and that thought is honestly rare, I think, where you, you look at something and be like, that you can get your ego out of the way.
1: Well, that's not always been the case for me. No? No, I've I'm I've burned a lot of bridges.
0: <laughs> okay you know
1: honestly like i i look right. back on some of my entering music. the
0: dirt part of the podcast yeah now. man uh. let's
1: get real so like i i had to learn a lot of hard lessons yeah about that because i have a very distinct vision about what i want to hear how i want it to be done yeah, yeah. i'm you know i'm a control freak and mm-hmm. i'm willing to admit that but it's been a process for me of learning how to Create situations where I can maintain a certain amount of creative control, but I can give other people some buy in. Yeah. You know, I can give them the opportunity to bring something that they want to bring to the table so they feel a certain amount of ownership and pride that they can put into Mm -hmm. it. And by doing that, I'm, you know, in a way, I'm elevating my art because I'm only as good as I am. I can only do what I can do. But as a solo artist, you know sometimes you run out of steam or you run out of inspiration. But if you bring other people in yeah. and they can give you fresh perspectives, that's awesome. You know, yeah. so that's what's great about Rich. That's what's great about Seth and Logan and Dave. Is that these guys elevated the music for me? Like I, when I before I got them involved, I sat down with my wife and I sat down with a couple other friends, like independently, yeah. and I let them listen to the record as it stood. Yeah, and they all gave me the same feedback. It was like. It's good, but it's not great. Right. And so I took that to heart. I'm like, okay, but I want this to be great. So what's that going to take? It's going to take me making the music more rich and dense and Mm -hmm. bringing in uh, different, you know, approaches. And so that's when I started reaching out to people. And I find that I work much better in projects than I do in bands. Like, I I don't want to be in a band anymore. Nah. Uh, because I, I'll start a band. I'm like, hey man, let's be a, a, you know, like a country western band. Yeah. And then six months down the line, I'm like, uh, I want to do heavy metal now. All right. You know. And so you can't. So if I said you want to get in a country metal band right now, you'd be like, country no. metal. Yeah. Yeah. We can do it for a couple months. Okay. But, then, but then I would like be like, yeah. eh, I yeah. want to do ambient jazz now. Yeah. Right. But but that's why I think projects are better because you can be. It's it's got a beginning and an end. Yeah. For you sure. Know? So like, hey, let's do this thing. Like, I want to make a children's record. Yeah, and so I've been talking to some people. I've already written a bunch of songs for it, and I I don't want to be in a full time children's band playing birthday <laughs> parties and stuff like that. I right. just want to put out this record, right. and then move on to whatever's next.
0: So, so that and, and did that project come up because you guys have a son. Yes. Right, yeah. Yeah. And and you know, again, this is something we we're talking about off mic. You know that anytime I mean, you bring a child into the world, it changes your life. Oh yeah. And um, if
1: if you're paying attention, it does. If you're paying, yeah. If if you're worth a damn, yeah. (laughs) If you're worth a damn, that's important. That's important.
0: I mean, we we know that that's not always the case. Um, How did having him? uh, His
1: name's Henry, right? Henry, yeah, yeah. That he's actually Henry's head. um, I was telling you earlier, my son had a condition with his with his head when he was younger, and he had to get surgery Uh and wear a uh, helmet for twenty three hours a day for about five months and it really impacted his life in a lot of ways. It kind of slowed down some of his motor skill development and gross motor skills and stuff The the doctor said it wouldn't, but it did. You yeah. know. And I was writing that song around that time and I just wanted to dedicate something to him, you know, yeah. just to be like, Hey, you know, this is my little guy and he deserves something, yeah, yeah. you know? And so he's going to ask me one day, dad, why did you write a song called Henry's head? And I'm going to be like, well, <laughs> and why wasn't it country metal? Yeah, exactly.
0: You know, so, what about that changed uh, you know, because you've talked about you know, burning bridges mm-hmm. and having to get to a place that uh dude, I mean I'm serious. A lot of musicians don't ever get there. Oh yeah? Like that ego that ego thing is uh in any it's not just music, it's in anything. That ego thing is so powerful that you and and I'm like you. I think you always work better with people. Projects is the way to do it. Yeah. If you, if, again, if you ask me to be like, if if I was in a band with somebody, I'd Mm. be like, eventually we're going to have to do something different. Yeah. But if it's just like, hey, we're going to knock out like 10 songs and we're going to go over
1: here. Yeah. That's great. That's, that's fucking perfect. I've always admired bands and artists who reinvent themselves. Like I, I'm an unapologetic rush fan. Like you can say what you want about rush. I know. I may have to kick you out of this. Yeah, so I love, over, man. Yeah, no. I love Rush. And yeah, the, I love Rush, and the reason I love Rush is because when I discovered Rush, they were something that I just had never heard before. Yeah, growing up on classic rock radio is, you know, you're especially in South Carolina, you're desperate for something new. You know, like I couldn't find anything because the only, my only places to find music were Best Buy, Kmart, mm-hmm. Circuit City, Walmart. That was it. You know, and so I w- I went through a Yanni phase, yeah, because well, that was the only thing that I could find that was not 38 Special or Molly Hatchet. You know, I'm
0: editing that out.
1: That's fine. I <laughs> I don't good. care. Like I yeah. like Yanni, and I still do because yeah. if you did if you kind of you know just dig in and listen to what's yeah. going on, and you're and you're trying to find something like you imagine you're a kid, and you're desperate for something new, something to teach you something. Mm-hmm. There's stuff to learn there. I mean, you might not like the presentation of it. Sure. But there's lots sure. of really cool ideas going on that you can learn from. Yeah, I mean it's so Well what were we talking about? We're talking about something else. We're, well, talking, we were about Henry? talking
0: about your son. And, oh, yeah. and we we're talking about like having having learned all these lessons prior to this, though, how how did Henry like sort of change like how you were doing stuff? I mean, is that what brought in the like I want to make something beautiful?
1: No. I think I have a friend who, I'm not going to name her, <laughs> but I have a friend, and for some reason I have a very high, I, I want her approval. Okay. Yeah, okay. She's doing a lot of cool stuff, and I get jealous sometimes. Like, yeah. I get a little jealous, because it's not that I don't want her to be doing well, it's that I want to be doing well too, or I want right. to find my groove, <laughs> you know, and I feel like I haven't quite found it yet. So... <clears throat> so one time I let her listen to some of my music, and she told me she's like, "Man, your music scares me." And I understood immediately what she meant because my music was very, at that time, was very confrontational and very okay. And it was ugly. It was purposefully ugly. Yeah. Like I, I got excited by that. Like it, something about having music with dirt under the fingernails and hairy, just yeah. ugly music, just excited me. That was what I was into. Um. And then I would let other people listen to it, and a lot of people would be turned off by it. And so it's not that I wanted to smooth down the edges to the point where it was just, you know, corporate rock or something like that. But I wanted to do something, like I said earlier, where I can be give it to different people to listen to, Yeah, but it works on multiple levels. Right. You know, so if you put it on in the background... It works that way. You know, it's not offensive. It, it does what it needs to do. It creates a vibe, a mood. Mm-hmm. But if you sit down in the headphones and actively listen to it, there's other stuff going on. And that you can you kind of, there are all these little threads that you can follow. Yeah. And that's what's important to me is I want to create a music that works on many different levels for many different people.
0: Well, you, I mean, you're making super heady music. I mean, that's what you, that's essentially to distill it. Like this is this is like the headiest album I've heard of twenty seventeen. Oh really? Yeah. It, it it is because it works on all those levels. You know, we when something we haven't mentioned is like you're now getting played on WAMU, mm-hmm. NPR, the Capital Soundtrack. Is that what it's yeah, called?
1: Yeah, yeah. They basically invite musicians <laughs> right. to put stuff in so they can use it as bumper right. music and, and background music stuff, which is a cool idea. I think it's it's, a, really awesome.
0: it's, a, it's an awesome idea. And you know, I heard before I even heard it, like that. Like, they were playing this. I'm like, what's going on with that? And when I heard it, I was just like, no fucking way. (laughs) This is like, because it fit perfectly with the news. But it also fits perfectly. There's, uh, you know, we keep uh, going back to the first song on this album, but like that track uh, reminds me a little bit of like Morphine, which is a band I love.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I haven't heard that one. That's a good one. Yeah. I mean, just it's a... I it, heard Soft Machine today. Soft Machine is okay, yeah. Yeah, like, I, that, I'm i always hearing these inspirations, like, hey, man, do you listen to so-and-so? I'm like, I've never heard it, but I need to check it out. But,
0: but there's also, as you go through the album, there's weirder stuff. There's stuff that reminds me of Ry Cooder, which I'm a huge fan of. Don't that, know him? <laughs> I will. I, when you come over here again, I will. What you
1: need to do is make me a playlist. Be like, this is the stuff. I, okay. that, I, I, that I will do that. I makes do me that. think of Be,
0: because what 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 he does, and I think what you do too, is mine. This uh, sort of search for trying to find the truth of a song. Now, yeah, a lot of his, yeah. a lot of his is related to like Afro-Cuban music. No instrumental country. stuff, or he had, he does instrument. He had a huge career in the eighties doing just uh, soundtracks. Okay, movie soundtracks mainly. See, that's a
1: that's a good one. Yeah,
0: may, well, that's a, and that's sort of why I bring them up because you know when you listen to uh, Time Beam, you get this sort of journey. Like it's sort of begging to be fit into a movie. Mm. There's there's bright tracks. There's dark tracks. There's one ridiculously like almost
1: like tropical track and it's just like Oh yeah, you're yeah. talking about freeze folk, right? Yeah. Everybody yeah. says that's tropical, and I'm like, no, it's supposed to be cold and dark. No, no it's completely <laughs> tropical.
0: You know. But uh yeah, that just shows you made it, now it's not yours. It's man. not mine anymore.
1: I gotta let it go, A- right? And
0: uh, you know, uh it, it has all these things inside it uh that I, I think you succeeded in. Like they all end up beautiful because when you listen to it you don't people uh, shy away from just making the statement what it is and it can mm. be small. Uh-huh. And this and look this is a small record. I think you would agree.
1: Small in terms like of like just like reach.
0: Just, no no no, not reach. Just like the songs, they're small. They're little, oh, yeah, they're yeah, little they're, moments. They're not they're not grand Well statements. there's a couple
1: of 7 minute plus songs in there oh, in the yeah. middle, but yeah, but mostly everything hovers around 4 minutes or yeah. so. Yeah. I would agree with that. And uh
0: but when you add them all up together it's just sort of like Wow, here's this nourishing thing, yeah. That you can, yeah. Well,
1: I'm an album guy, yeah. So, I mean, I I tried to approach the record as a, a composition of itself. So. Mm. But what's interesting too about the soundtrack aspect is what you're talking about. Like, I, I are you familiar with library music at all? Mm-hmm. Like, I love that stuff. Yeah, I listen to it all the time, and I have tons of compilations. And so that's where I draw a lot of my inspiration too, is from that stuff.
0: Tell, tell the listener what library music is.
1: So imagine, like, uh, stock for talk to- stock. For photography, mm-hmm. I can't say that word. Photog- for, F- phot- stock <laughs> photography, stock <laughs> photography. Thank you. Now you got me doing it. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> um, so basically, a bunch of guys or ladies or whoever get into a studio and and they just turn out different types of mood music, and they uh, like they'll have a song like car chase with bongos or uh, villain music or escape yeah. music or sad music or whatever. And they'll just record tons and tons of this stuff, stuff, and then they'll press it to a record, and then they'll give it out to movie production companies and TV production Mm -hmm. companies. And this music wasn't intended for commercial consumption. It was just for this kind of industry inside (laughs) stuff, right? It's being used by Foley artists, too. Yeah. Yeah. And so it wasn't really meant for people outside of the industry. But then later some of this stuff started leaking out like people would take crates of these these vinyl records and dump them off at thrift stores and then people would find it and then a bunch of industrious people picked this stuff up started remastering it researching it putting out books putting out compilations and stuff and it's it's really bizarre Mm -hmm. because it's not meant to be heard really in any other context but then you know people flip it it's like you're flipping through a A book looking for the right color to paint your bathroom. Right, 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 right. You know, so it's it's a commercial music, but a different type of commercial music. So uh, anyway, I'm in love with that stuff because it's so weird. And the song poem stuff. Yeah, like you know, like Rod Keith. I love that stuff because it again, it's just it's coming from a different place. So a lot of that has found its way into my music. Yeah, you know that weird kind of off kilter left lean left you know sided stuff. Yeah. Left field, that's what I'm trying Left to say. Left field. Yeah. Um, but I think the, the one thing that I tried to do with this record, and I find myself doing lately, like I've discovered that I've developed a methodology where I really love pop music, yeah. but I really love crazy out there music too. So when I write music, I just realized this recently, is that, and this is a subconscious thing I think, is uh, I try to balance it. So yeah. if I'm writing a piece of music that's too out there, I try to figure out a way to tone it down and couch it in something that's more accessible. And vice versa. If there's something that's too accessible, I try to dirty you, it up a do, little do bit. Do you tone it down or do you find find a complement to it? That I guess that would be a better way to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just it's about I love food. I love yeah. like Indian food. I love complex flavors. I like density. Yeah. I like there to be lots of different things playing off of each other. So that's why and I, and I I feel the same way about music. It's like I like music where you can listen to it six seven times in a row. Yep. But you can be like, okay, this time I'm going to listen to the guitar and see what that does, or this time I'm going to follow that weird sound that's going from halfway through the song to the end. Like, what is that thing about? What yeah. Is it, you know, that's that's what I like.
0: And and those are those end up being the best records. Yeah. Like it, you know, people refer to stuff as like a head trip, you know, or a headphone album and stuff. Mm-hmm. But the reason those things exist is because you can do that. You can hear. I mean, going back to a very basic example, so there's some Beatles stuff. You can go back and follow this little thread through, like an entire four minutes, five minutes. Yeah, and
1: and it feels and, so cool and, when you find and, it and too, doesn't heard,
0: it? And you've heard that album
1: yeah. five hundred times. Yeah, then you find that one new thing, and yeah. it's kind of it's like it's the replay value of that record. You know, like there are certain records you put them on once, and yeah. you're like, okay, that that did what it's supposed to do. Yeah, what's next? And, yeah. But there are other records that you want to spend time to discover and uncover things. Yeah, and so I purposely obscure parts of my music because I want I want things to be hidden, but then expose themselves every once in a while, and, yeah. and then go back into the uh, behind the ether or the clouds or whatever. Well, I mean, this album's changed since I started listening to it. Yeah, I think you sent it to me like two months ago. Maybe yeah. Maybe. And since then, I you know it's been mastered and I made well, it's been mastered, but you, I mean it's changed you, for me, my experience. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, yeah. Yeah. It 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 is hearing stuff in it
0: that I I didn't hear, paying attention to like an odd like just bass track that's in there or an odd drum hit that I yeah. just didn't that I didn't hear, and all of a sudden I'm obsessed with that one drum hit. That's awesome. And and you keep going through it, and it doesn't change necessarily the meaning of the song. It just it like, gets you like, deeper into it.
1: Well, it gives you a better understanding. Of, it's like you're investing in it a little bit more. Yeah. Like, it's a character. Every song has its own character, yep. its own logic, its own world, and yeah. you uncover new things in it. So, yeah, that's that's my intent, you know? Yeah. If I can do that for somebody, then I feel like I've succeeded.
0: Yeah. Um, that might be a good place to end, man. <laughs> All right, let's <laughs> go. I uh and I mean this sincerely dude I I think you I think you have done that I think you have succeeded Thanks so much and this is this is a uh this is a great fucking album dude well, Thanks and, uh, I
1: appreciate that it means a lot and glad you could come hang out Yeah thanks man mm-hmm. again I feel like I should be scrubbing something No no fuck that
0: <laughs> Fuck that hopefully if the world has if there's any justice in the world you won't be scrubbing stuff for long unless you want to and uh, then uh,
1: I'm, I'm done with it every time I flush a toilet I feel part of my soul go yeah, down the drain yeah. where's your drum set by the way my drum set is
0: behind the uh, behind the wall
1: oh you had to make room for the piano huh yes I had to make room for the piano okay. So well you so. still need to get that drum head fixed man I know let me know when you want to tune it up uh, it'll be shortly because okay.
0: we're starting a space rock band if you want to join it the what the space, the rock, space band?
1: rock what's it called we don't know you don't know we don't know you'll figure something out yeah cool man alright man thanks for coming down yeah thanks so much
0: Jason Mullinex for you, boys and girls. Uh, he, he's a rad dude, uh, and I know a lot of you guys listening to this might know him. Um, he is, he is, uh, he's the best dude. He's just, he's just a solid dude making kick-ass music. Uh, and and I have, uh, it's weird. I, I I really have got come to look forward to those Fridays when he's here. It's. Um, we have some wild conversations, and we'll continue to. Uh, maybe we'll catch him on mic. You know, he—it's funny—he hit me up after this and said, "You know, oh man, we didn't—we didn't talk about his music education, uh, his, his stuff as an educator. We didn't play any music and stuff." Well, I, that just means we're gonna have to have him back, right? You guys love that, so you wouldn't mind spending another hour with Jason. So we'll—we'll we'll do that at some point down the road, and maybe you'll see him pop up on some of our album reviews. Because uh, cause the guy is He's he's swimming In the, in the, the pure ocean Of music uh, Very few people I've met Love music as much And as purely as he does Might have said that um, But like I said He did say we didn't play a song So we're going to do that Now I hope you guys did your homework before this Sometimes you don't Sometimes you do But yeah, whatever uh, But uh, we're going to make it easy for you right now if you heard all that and you were like, "What the fuck is he even talking about?" um you heard uh, a little bit of Henry's head on the outro here, and now we're gonna play a uh, track called sleep crisis uh so if you like if you like your uh, avant jazz with a little um little pop flourish to it, um, nice digestible bites uh this is this is the fucking track for you. so uh, here you go Jason A. Molinax's sleep Crisis off his new album Time Mean. this off with Jason A. Molina's "Time Being" there for you. Uh, such a rad track, such a rad album, such a rad dude. This is um, this is uh, you know, l- legitimately, this is one of my favorite albums of the year. Uh, this is the type of this is the type of music I wish I could make. Uh, yeah, I, I make little bullshit songs about my my dead cat, uh, but this stuff is 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 totally rad. And this is uh, it resonates. I think it, it resonates with me, and I think it resonates with you too. If you listen to this podcast, uh, you know, he just put it up on streaming, but, uh, look guys, this is check it out there. Get acclimated and then go buy a copy on Bandcamp. I'm not sure how much it costs. I I paid him 10 bucks for it. You can too. It's generally a pay what you want thing. And actually I'll tell you what, if you're listening to this and you liked, uh, this conversation that you had and you like that last track, but you're not you're still not sure. Uh, if you respond, the first person to respond or email me at Kevin at chunky com and says, Hey, I really love that. I really want to check out time being, see what it's all about. I'm going to buy you a copy. I'm going to buy you a copy and I'm going to send you it to you. How about that? Be cool with that. Yeah. That sounds, that sounds groovy, right? It's a weird radio promo <laughs> this is like on demand radio. Uh, so we'll tweet out when we have, uh, when the contest has been won but uh, but yeah that 's going to happen, we do that from time to time and i and I really want you to hear it that bad uh thanks again to Jason for taking the time uh, out of his busy schedule to come down and talk about all this stuff uh, I have uh greatly I, I I look forward now to Fridays when he 's here because the conversations we have are are rad they 're very much like that but they uh yeah. it 's been good to to get to know this guy and his music, and I look forward to continuing doing that uh that is about our podcast for this monday if you like what you heard you can can subscribe to us in itunes you can listen to us on stitcher on mixcloud google play uh, up on soundcloud and uh maybe a few other places you can listen to us right on the site www.chunkyglasses.com uh if you are out and about in the dc area mostly uh please See if you can track down our, our live music guys, Matt Condon and Mauricio Casper. They are at about every show that takes place in this town, uh, which is unreal. It's something I did back in 2012, 2011 to 2012, and it broke me, people. It broke me, but these guys are, are, are going strong. And I, and I am uh, not uh, ashamed. In fact, I'm very proud to say I think they're they're probably two of the best music photographers in D.C. right now. So... So, you got that going for you. Um, we are on Twitter at, at chunkyglasses.com, also on Instagram at, at chunkyglasses. Uh, what am I saying? Dot .com. At chunkyglasses and at chunkyglasses, both places. And that's where you see all of that. Coming up at the end of this week, we're going to have a really special episode a, uh, a discologist. It's about an album uh, that means a lot to us, about an artist that means a lot to us. Uh, Princess Sign of the Times, and we got a real special guest. I'm not going to tell you. But I will tell you, they, uh, they know their shit That is, <laughs> They know their stuff and, and I'm not talking about Marcus Dowling or Sarah Godfrey Because they're going to be here too But uh, it's going to be wild, man uh, So we're going to be doing that And then we're going to be uh, rolling on with the album Still got to tell you about the Big Star album uh, the, the live album that came out uh, Me and Michael sat down and talked about that Still got to tell you about Chris Stapleton's album Still got to tell you about Thurston Moore's album and, uh, and then all the little music in between I don't mean that pejoratively either. Um, but, uh, yeah, so so we're out here. We're around. We're here for you, and we thank you for listening. And For now, we're going to get out of here. So, uh, it, you know, we'll be back in a few short days. Until then, be good to your ears, but be better to your people. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs> oh. Kenobi! you know